0: This is episode 10 of Surviving Sky. My last days in Japan. When we got back to Sapporo after the press conference that we had in Tokyo, there was a noticeable shift. The gravity of the situation was setting in. It made no sense to us as to what was actually happening. Sky was missing in Japan. It takes time to process something of this magnitude. And honestly, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it, even today. How could somebody just, just vanish? Sky was a 5'8", 180-pound American woman, missing in Japan. It just, it just wasn't making any sense. And how could we just sit around and wait? Knowing that Sky was out there somewhere. But that's what we did. That's all we could do. The most substantial lead came in soon after the press conference. Sky was seen at an inn in Noboribetsu, two inns to be exact. Noboribetsu was over a two hour train ride from Sapporo. So, what the hell was Sky doing there? What was going on over there? What did she go there to see? Was she meeting somebody? When the police informed us of this news, we immediately wanted to go. But we were advised against it. They told us that they had already spoke with the witnesses, that there was nothing that we would be able to do. And in that moment, that made sense. Like, Really, what else could we do? Walk around the streets and just call out for her? Accost anyone that we thought might know something? We didn't know the language the previous experience of passing out the missing persons flyers had proven to be humiliating, humbling, and infuriating, let alone insulting to anyone we approached. It was the shame and horror of that episode, that had us agreeing with them. Though today, we would have done it differently. We would have gone. Maybe we couldn't have spoken to anyone directly, but we could have at least seen the town for what it was. Maybe we could have seen or understood the reasons why she went there. Or maybe it just would have added to the confusion of why Skye went there in the first place. I don't know if doing anything differently would have made things any easier for us in the long run. Another lead was from a taxi driver, and to be honest, I don't remember more than that. The one thing that we don't have are the case files from Japan. We don't have all the information that they were able to gather from their investigation. And I don't know why we never got a copy of anything while we were there. We mainly communicated through the ambassador. He was the main contact. The one that translated everything to the police and vice versa. He told us what the police had found. So I don't know exactly where Sky was when she took the taxi. All I know is that a taxi driver remembered Skye. There was another witness who had seen Sky at a ticket kiosk. He said that she was in tears, that she needed help getting a ticket, that she didn't understand something. So he helped her get a ticket. And that's all we know. Besides the ticket kiosk encounter, everybody reported to the police that Sky was in good spirits, that nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Now, this is what's always been a real head scratcher. If Skye was planning on committing suicide, why go through all of this? Why fly from Southington, Connecticut to Sapporo, Japan, and then another two-hour commute to a coastal city whose main attractions are their hot springs? Like, why? What was going on? What was happening? And from what we gathered from taking inventory of her closet, there was barely anything that she packed. Nothing in her room looked out of the ordinary. And it didn't seem like she had enough money to travel extensively or even, you know, buy new clothing if she needed it. I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand. There has to be something we're missing. And it's not just sky. It's all the who, what, where, when, why and hows of this whole situation. There are just way too many questions and just so many more unknowns. And yet we sat in a hotel room in Sapporo and we just waited. And when we weren't waiting, we were waiting and walking around Sapporo. And we were waiting and watching MTV. Because music seemed like a universal. And for some reason, Mariah Carey was insanely popular. There was just so much Mariah Carey on MTV in Japan. And I love Mariah. Visions of Love was one of the first albums I had on cassette. I could probably listen to Mariah all day. So I wasn't mad about all of the Mariah that we watched in Japan. And when we weren't watching Mariah Carey videos, we were waiting still and surviving off of a diet of things that we could point to in a display case. In any other situation, a food tour of Japan would be amazing. But in a situation like ours, where you can't even comprehend why your loved one left, let alone try to order food in a language you don't know. So if you can't point to it, you're not gonna order it. So we ate a lot of pastries, a diet that I still follow to a T, even today, if I'm in a high stress situation. There was one night, I remember, when we were sitting in the hotel just waiting. It was after I had taken a shower. My mother was sitting on the bed behind me, trying to make phone calls or trying just to keep herself together. I remember sitting on a chair that I pulled up to a full-length mirror. And I leaned in real close, too close, close to the point where you enter into this world of mirror magic and I picked at my skin, it was stressed out and inflamed. I was popping zits just to pass the time. I spent more time in that zone than I would normally care to admit. But I remember, as I pulled away from that mirror zone, I remember not recognizing my own face. It was familiar, but definitely not mine. The eyes were familiar, but it was shaped like a stranger's. I stared and I stared and I felt an out of body experience come over me. And I stared at myself from above. I looked down at this stranger and I watched her change. In that moment, I, I turned around to my mom and she was just kind of spaced out on the bed. And I said with complete certainty, Mom, do do I look Japanese? And without skipping a beat, my mother looked at me, like really looked. And she said, yeah, you look Japanese. This was the moment, the exact moment where I knew I wasn't gonna be okay. And I can look back at it now and understand why I saw what I saw. I had been in Japan in a high stress situation, only surrounded by people that didn't look like me. But the longer that I was there, I didn't see them as looking any different than me. I just started to look at myself differently. I saw shapes and angles that I had never seen before. And I also worked in reverse because I thought the Japanese people looked like me. And I know that that sounds crazy. And this is kind of off subject, but it can be applied to what we consume and how it affects how we view ourselves and each other. Like for example, scrolling too long on any social media will change how you perceive yourself. And if you consider how many of us live, we are already living in highly stressed situations, but we don't always view it that way because it's packaged to us like it's normal. So even though in that moment, I knew that shit was not normal, I still think about that situation a lot today. Because our day-to-day, today is not fucking normal. And it really just messes up how we view ourselves and each other. But anyways, it was that moment where I knew I wasn't going to be okay. Shortly after that very surreal experience, I remember calling up my then-boyfriend and giving him the rundown. It was a new relationship, so it was a perfect time to jump ship. And I wasn't going to be okay. I was going to be a mess until this came to some sort of conclusion. And I told him he could go. I knew it would be the best for him. And I remember he said that we'd talk when I got back and honestly i remember how nervous and stressed i felt about that cuz there was just so much going on that i was too scared to explain or too scared to accept as my new reality but we've uh, we've been together now for 14 years and this may seem a bit confessional but tim i'm sorry My lows have been lower than I could have ever imagined. And I know I'm not the same person I was when you met me. You see the me that no one else sees. I'm cold, I'm quiet, and I'm distant most of the time. You've seen me tune out the world. Even as I pretend to present just normal enough to those who are around me just to make others feel comfortable. It's the absence of butterflies, that lack of excitement that isn't fair to you. I've substituted that for something that embodies more of a physical pain. I exercise just to feel something, just to feel present, It's that kind of change, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, that you've witnessed. It lacks words, because maybe if we had the vocabulary, then we wouldn't be in this mess. But I couldn't have done any of this without you. It was about a year after Sky went missing when I checked myself into a hospital because I was just so detached from reality. And even now, I look back at that time and I don't know how I got through it. Because if somebody actually called it for what it was, a mental breakdown, then I may have ended it all. And still, my mother and I waited in that hotel room for a few more days until there weren't any more credible leads that came in. We just waited and waited. It felt like an eternity, but in reality, it was only a week. And we had arrangements to be leaving at the end of the week with or without Sky, because what else could we do? We didn't have enough money to sustain this. We didn't have any leads. We were nearing the end of our time there and it felt terrifying. It somehow felt more terrifying that if I didn't go home, I would lose my job. There was a part of me that knew if something like that were to happen, that I would lose all sense of self. I knew I didn't need a job to define me, but I needed a job to distract me. So in a way, that was enough for me to say I have to go back because I can't lose everything. My parents too faced that same kind of motivator. They could have taken out alone. They could have quit their jobs and dedicated their time to finding answers, to find Sky, But what if you still hit a dead end? What if you also lose your home along with your daughter, your job? And then who is going to help you pick up the pieces? Because it became evident very quickly that everyone else moves on. We don't live in a place where... You can be down on your luck, but also free of the cultural stigma and shame that goes along with that. Like the what's wrong with them? Why couldn't they just move on? I don't need to list out all of the unkindness that we face in the world, because I'm sure that you're already aware of it all. So... As the week drew to a close, I was ready to go home. And not just without Sky. without my mother too. She didn't have it in her to leave. She couldn't go. I knew that I was completely losing it, but somehow my mom found the strength and she stayed another week. She stayed another week, alone.